Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from Xgrowth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though. Let's dive right in. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Hoda with X-Growth. And today I'm talking to Jim Lenskald, president at Lenskald Group and author of the book Marketing ROI about where should you start when it comes to measuring the ROI of your marketing efforts? Where do marketers go wrong? And how should you communicate marketing ROI to the rest of the organization? On that note, let's dive in. Jim, thanks for joining us. All right. Great to be here, Shane. How are you? Absolute pleasure. I'm good. I'm good and pumped yeah. uh, for talking about marketing ROI. It's a hot topic. It's been a hot, to- hot topic for, for, for a long time. And, uh, and I feel like marketers have tried many different ways to kind of justify the effort that they're putting in and show results, business results for the organization. I guess the first thing that the first question that I want to start with is, you know, in an, in an ideal world, what type of marketing activities should marketers try to try to measure in your opinion? Right, right, right. Because especially in, uh, in the B2B world, but in any case, we, we have lots of different types of marketing with lots of different types of objectives. And where I like to start is that, you know, we, we make our plans and we, we allocate our funds at the activity level. But if we're going to measure, I think we need to start at the end and work backwards, right? So, so it's the outcomes that matter. And this is where some refocusing is needed in a lot of different areas in marketing. So how do we, we have to set our focus on, we're trying to capture incremental sales, revenue, and margin, right? So it's the hard stuff, but it's the big stuff. So when we get to that, um, you know, a lot of times we do have to measure the interim outcomes, the ones that happen along the journey, um, but from there, you know, we want to build this, this process and capabilities that we can start making these connections, right? And so when I spend the funds on behalf of the business and I have objectives, I still ultimately have to generate a financial contribution, whether directly or indirectly, that's what people are expecting of me. And, uh, and as we talk further, we'll kind of talk a little bit more about the parts of that process. But um, but to circle back, so so as long as we're focusing on the outcomes first, I, I'd say your question was more about where do you start in terms of the activities. So given that, there's two different areas I look for. Where would I, you know, if I can't measure everything, what do I measure first? And that is, I'm either going to look at where I have the largest portion of my spend, because I might as well attack that and try to fix that and understand it better, or maybe the most where do I where do I have the most uncertainty? Sometimes. We're at the point where we have a good marketing mix, but there's certain things that you're, you know, the questions are, you know, am I overspending in this area? Um, is there something that's that one area of my my touch points and my uh, engagement journey that's weak? Uh, because I'd rather dig in and find an area that I can improve. Right? I'm not just in it. And a lot of our metrics are about, you know, what was the outcome? And that seems like the end. In our, in our case, what we're looking for is, um, is what do I do different? How do I how do I kind of change that spend, change that mix, and and see if I can generate more financial results? Got it, got it. And where you know we, we talked about where to start, and you talk you're you're saying start towards the end. What about what about different types of 
marketing, right? So what I mean by that is I, I had a, I remember I had a conversation with somebody and they said, look, I put marketing in two buckets. I put marketing in brand and I put marketing uh, in stuff that I can measure, right? right? And I don't bother with measuring the brand stuff. What are your thoughts on on that approach to measurement and, and looking at marketing ROI? Because it's, it, it becomes really hard when you're talking right. about PR and you're talking about, you know, we change our website. There is some yep. stuff that you could track, but there's some stuff that you can't track. Hey, we produce this podcast and yeah, that's attribution right, right. is really hard, right? It's 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 right. very challenging to um to kind of measure those. So what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, right, right. So I think I think important part of this is is again, I, I we'll talk a bit. It's this um it's this process and framework, and it's the fact that we have to kind of peel back layers and get smarter and smarter. So, you know, we, we're really interested in what's at the core of this, you know, what's, what's ultimately driving every outcome. So when we, when you talk about the brand aspect of it, there's a many different reasons why that lags behind probably because it's also the, it's the furthest in that buyer's journey from the out final outcome. Right. In fact, when, when we look at, you know, where do you, where do you start in terms of measurements, one of the areas that I tend to to look for is it's interesting how this works. But if you can make an impact at the bottom of the buyer's journey funnel, right? That funnel stage is so late in the buyer's journey. The later you make that you understand, assess, and make the impact, the more it has this multiplier effect. So uh, I'll give you a quick example. So if I've got a leakage point and I have a, a, an area where I'm not as effective in in the the sales teams portion of this, right? Uh, not in the marketing, but after we hand off a lead, what happens? If I can increase those conversion rates, one, there's financial gain, and two, the multiplier effect is now every time marketing generates leads along that that type of lead, it will flow through at that higher conversion rate, right? So now all of a sudden, all my my financials go up a bit, and it makes it easier for me to justify marketing. So whether, you know, that doesn't mean we can always start in the sales cycle. Sometimes we are starting in marketing, but you could still go toward, you know, what's at the lead generation, what pushes more mm. qualified leads, and then work your way up what generates engagement. And, and we, we then work our way up to what generates awareness, interest, you know, and, and um, I'm going to hold off one aspect of the brand for just a little bit. But there is brand media that's in there that's, uh, let's even just call it the mass media that very hard to measure, right? We don't even know who sees it, who doesn't. But follow that logic of this bottom of the funnel up, you know, there is, there's certain types of marketing that does great in engagement. In fact, maybe it's educational content. Maybe it's something that really appeals to the, the people that are searching for this type of product. But it also may never convert to a sale. Maybe you just educate certain buyers that go and buy from the competitor. So, so this idea of, um, you know, let's get effective at getting qualified leads. Let's get effective that in, in getting engagement that turns into qualified leads. And then let's make sure that everything we do in that, um, let's call it short-term branding. That's what I think I was looking for before. Short-term branding. Mm. Let's make sure that it creates a lift in everything else that's happening at the same time. So one of the first places I look for is if we run this media, you know, if I if I have a spike in certain, uh, let's call it above the line, uh, above the line media, I've got people who are seeing that, and I have people who are engaging. You know, I better see something in the short term move. 
doesn't mean it has to be sales if I've got long, long buyer's journey. You know, if I'm doing these these high level, if I'm talking about my brand and my product and saying we're we have a competitive advantage, then I should see people engage more in my digital media, in my social, paid social, mm. and organic social. I should see more leads in the in the sales pipeline convert to the next stage because they're they're the most interested in in the topic at the time. They're there buying. Why wouldn't they kind of pay attention to your media? So it's a good part of the feedback. It, but that's the short term brand. There's a there's a long term brand. We'll we'll hold off on that a little bit. Definitely, definitely want to definitely want to dig into that as yeah, well. Yeah, let's circle back. And so so it's really interesting. So you're saying that if someone who wants to start with kind of marketing ROI measurement, it's really important to start closest to the money. So so at the, at the, towards it's, the end of the fun, as much as possible. Right. Towards the end of that that uh, right. buyer's it, journey, it's it's where it's, it's it's one of the biggest places you'll get an immediate impact, and it has that that long lasting. You know, it, why why put more buyers into the beginning of the journey and then have it fall apart at the end, right? So mm. so you know, it's it's more important to kind of work your way back. Um, I love there's that. Some you... There's some exceptions, but let's just talk about the you know the everyday. Where do you want your mindset? is let me dig in and put some measurements and, and analysis into what happens at that point. Yeah, I, I really like that because you can very quickly show results to, to the business right. as well versus at the top, you know, you're kind of doing stuff, but really it it's a leaky bucket and, and you lose that, yeah. that traction uh, at the bottom. Exactly. What are, Jim, what are some of the mistakes that you see people make regularly when it comes to ROI measurement? I think, a couple of different things. One is that, you know, some people just can't get the financials right. That's an important part for that credibility. You know, you want to be able to say, uh, you know, and look, we've got the measurements that are hard, but, but, um, and, and I, I wouldn't say there's, there's mistakes there as much as maybe a, a lack of knowledge and sophistication, which comes over time. But you say we start measuring that. And then what happens is we, we, um, we go through and we might claim, you know, um, it's very, very common um, where marketing says, okay, we had all these touch points and we had all this revenue come from those touch points. So we'll say, here's our spend and we'll claim all that revenue. And we come with an ROI measure that's based on lots of revenue and a little bit of spend and, and no one in the organization completely buys it. First of all, you really need margin because the financial people don't want you to spend a money that just kind of brings in revenue. There's other costs that have to be covered, but that, that one, you know, all right, that's a step you could take. Uh, but the other area is you run into the situation where sales goes, well, wait a second, you didn't close those, all those deals. We did. You didn't generate that revenue. We did. So we create this competitive mindset where marketing's trying to claim certain pieces. So when I, set up marketing ROI for clients, I come in and um, and the financial aspect says, here's the marketing spend. And then based on generating a certain number of leads or engagement, whatever we're going to do, we project out and say, all right, we're going to incur a certain amount of sales team expense to complete the, the process, right? So that it becomes the marketing plus sales expense against the margin, right? The revenue minus the, the cost of goods and everything. And what what happens there is you get into, first of all, it's more accurate from the business standpoint, but then some interesting things come out. You can actually justify some marketing investment if as you spend the investment, 
it requires less sales resources. So in other words, there's a little bit more spend, but there's a little bit more spend in, in the sales team side. And all of a sudden now you're getting a, a real positive ROI, you're getting some type of lift. Better quality leads is, is about as, as uh, the most obvious one that comes there. Better quality leads close faster. Mm-hmm. They'll close, uh, they'll be bigger deal size. You know, so it's about, it becomes a smart use of both resources. And I really, I think it just changes the dialogue. You know, one of the things that happens with ROI doesn't solve everything, but it does create the the, the common goal. It's saying marketing is going to mm. judge itself by how much incremental it adds to the business in terms of the financial outcomes. Every salesperson wants more deals to close, bigger deals to close. The business wants it. All of a sudden, you know, you, you'd love to be able to say, hey, the sales team to say, hey, if I had more marketing support in this area, or if I could reduce leakage for this particular reason, uh, you know, there's a point where the competitors beat us. You know, if marketing can educate and, and, and make something a different outcome, everyone wins. So, so it is, it is, it's very positive part of that marketing and sales alignment. I love that. I love the, the argument that you, you had and what you, the point that you made about incorporating the cost of sales and the activity that you're going to yes. do. And it completely diffuses that argument that, uh, that, that sales are like, oh, we did the work. And you're like, yeah, you right, did definitely. Right. And this is the part of the equation that was yours. Um, right, that's, right. that's so good. That's so good. Yeah, I, it, I love it's that not, approach. It's not hard because it doesn't have to be perfect, right? A lot of these things we're doing are trying to, you know, a lot of times I'll just take in what's the average cost per lead to use the sales resources or, or you could break it down in a couple different stages, but just something that gets you in the right ballpark. And, mm. and, and again, it, it, over time, then if people start using it, if it's worthwhile, people will push to make it a little bit more precise, but we don't have to be, we just have to, we're closer to reality. So why not take a, some good assumptions and, and make some good decisions off? Okay, let's go. Let's go back to the uh, the measurement conversation. Rand, oh yeah, yeah. Rand, you brought it up a couple of times. I'd love to dig a little bit deeper, and if you could paint a picture for us, what what do you mean by you know how do you approach brand measurement? It seems like you kind of separate it into two different buckets, kind of short term and long term. Right. Brand, is that is that is that correct? How how do you approach brand? Well, all right. So so one other piece I could set up that's part of this process is. You know, especially in the B2B world, we have we have long sales cycles. And long could be even even three months or nine months or a year, year and a half. And and, and then you get really multi-year, right? But it's different in the, in a lot of the B2C areas, you know, you spend money and people buy next week. And then the, the, the connection then uh, analytically is real easy. So when you start stretching out the 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 longer time horizon. Then it becomes a combination of, you know, sometimes you are measuring the interim outcomes. You know, you could be measuring leads, uh, qualified leads. You could be measuring certain types of engagement. What you want is the other parts of the measurement to start tying into um, conversion rates. And you could start with average conversion rates. And then you could say by different segments or by different outcomes, you know, you'll get you'll get different pieces. So it becomes a measure today and a predictive kind of estimate. So now, so th- so that's part of the framework. And, and at some point we should talk a little bit about the methodology, but, but for now, let's just kind of get to this point of the long-term. So now when you get to brand, it's such a generic term that gets used for everything. And I feel like marketers maybe abuse it in that 
because I've been doing this a long time. And I, I started you know, back <laughs> in AT&T when they were like, don't worry about it. It's brand. Well, every touch point is brand. Every touch point is brand. So, so when the salesperson engages with someone, it's branding as well, right? So, so now you have to, to, to me, it's a little bit more meat around what do you mean by brand? And so the, the pieces that create awareness, consideration, kind of, they should boost demand, right? And that still is relatively short term. There's no way if you put some good media out there today, good brand marketing, and no one buys in the next three to six months or no one changes the behavior, what makes you think a year from now they're going to go, oh, wait a second, it's not going to happen. So the part I do oh. separate out that requires a very different methodology, and it's it's in the super advanced. So not a lot of companies do this, but it's still a good mindset to have. And that is when you are trying to reposition the brand or build attributes that don't exist, then you could go out today. And in one of my workshops, I use an example of a tech company that maybe had a reliability issue, right? You take that, you know, we all know about brand takes a hit. That's an immediate impact. But when you go to rebuild it back, so if someone wasn't reliable, you can go out and tell everyone you're reliable and, and no one's going to change the purchase behavior. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But if you reinforce that over time, and it's not just the brand communication, but it's in the buyer's experience, it's in every touch point that you know people are kind of reinforcing this, whether they're customer service, whether they're the sales team, then over time, if, if you compared, uh, let's take a you know, brands, I, I like attributes that can be rated on a scale, you know, whatever you want to do, one to five, one to 10. And, and you could see oh, the, if those ratings change over time, then your, your brand is doing its first job of changing the mindset. And so, so then that's, that becomes like a business case. And that's where ROI still is important because you now have to set some expectations within the organization that, this is the strategy, right? We're not just doing brand and doesn't mm. mean our name. It means this is the mindset. Usually you have some analysis, market research of some sort that says this is important to the buyer, right? So you could you could win on an attribute, but if no one cares, you didn't really win. So now it's this combination of how important is it in the buying process and the criteria of the buyer and where do you stand relative to the competition? If you're both great, you don't really score any points there. If you're both terrible, doesn't you don't score any points. But every time you gain an advantage, so there are techniques. There again, there are advanced modeling, different forms of discrete choice modeling, um, conjoint analysis. These things that are just trade offs, and there is a way to kind of quantify it and say, you know, one point on the scale is worth X amount in sales. And you can, so again, I know we're talking, so big companies, they don't even take this discipline sometimes, but they could take the discipline because they should say X amount of sales is worth only X amount of investment. So if we can't deliver that with our with this brand investment, it doesn't pay off. But as much right. as that works for a large company, what I've found is when I do these workshops, I have companies of all different sizes in there. I've had people come back to me and they said, you know, what's interesting is I don't, I don't have any resources for market research, but I kind of mapped out the diagram and we, we took input from the sales team and the customer service reps. And we kind of said, where do we rate against our competition? And I just explained to the CEO that if I invest in brand and if I could change these attributes and we get ahead of the competition, it'll pay back. 
And again, without any big money, it was still kind of enough of a business case. Because how do you, I feel like the dialogue between marketing and, and those, the, the C-suite is, we want money. We're going to say all great things about the company. And they go, yeah, but we, we have great products. What do we need marketing for, right? It's that same old, or we have a great sales team. That's right. So, so a framework, I think, just helps that dialogue. Got it. Got it. And is this because I know you have the um, you have a, you have a process that you call ROI scenario planning. Uh, yeah, is yeah. this is this kind of the same thing? Is that it, yeah, actually, in there? it's um, yeah, it's 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 the same. Tell us a little idea. bit about tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So ROI scenario planning. So so I kind of just started with the the big business case piece, but the let's if we can step back to it's almost the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Because Measurements can be a, a little complicated and, and, and there's all these different techniques. But, but one thing that's nice about ROI scenario planning is basically with a simple spreadsheet that with just a handful of inputs, you can basically say, if I spend X amount on a campaign, you know, whether it's a, a one-week email campaign or a six-month multi-touch intense campaign, you know, if I spend this amount. Where in the bot, you know, well, how many people will I reach? Where in the buyer's journey do I expect to have this impact? You know, if I'm going to generate engagement, if I'm going to drive people to an event, if I'm going to do something. And out of that population, it's really kind of taking the funnel concept and, and X amount will be impacted, X amount will move to the next stage. And eventually I've got to map out how many become leads, how many convert through that buyer's journey, right? And the more detail I add, the more strategic it becomes. So now I map that out and I have to have the average value of a, of a buyer and be able to say with this spend, here's the financial contribution in terms of, so X amount of sales, X amount of revenue, X amount of, of margin. And I have an ROI at that point. And so the scenario planning, first of all, you know, and I might not have perfect information on what happens after my engagement, but I have to have a good I should have a good rationale for or, or good estimates of what's happening. Because once I do that, I have this basic spreadsheet and I say, that was the plan. So first of all, I can communicate to others in marketing and outside of marketing. And I can say, this is my intention. And now it also points to the types of things I'm going to try to measure and analyze to see if it comes out. But the other thing it does is um, it's such a good strategic tool because how do I do a trade-off of Hey, what happens if I spend more money but generate fewer leads? But what I've done is I've targeted higher value leads. So, so you know, my leads go down, you know, 5%, my conversion rate goes up 10% of those leads because they're better quality, and the average value goes up 3%. You know, there's there's certain situations for that that it says that's the better option, and others where it doesn't work out, right? So, so this idea of um Kind of running the numbers, it, it's trying to 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 evaluate what's what's better, and also you know evaluate and then communicate it because sometimes you can't get people out of the mindset of volume, and and yet value makes a big difference, and um, and even sometimes of you know here's the campaign we've run, we generate a certain amount of results, but we think if we spend a little bit more here, you know, and we change a conversion rate, there's kind of a leakage spot in the journey. It's worth millions and. And sometimes it's hard to it's hard to even understand what the impact is until you get the financials there. So, so my point there is it's a valuable part of the process. It's not super expensive to get started with that. 
And, and the key is you got to be comfortable using the best assumptions. It tells you more than skipping this step. And what you find is that once you start using assumptions, you know, other people on the team will start saying, oh, wait a second, I have a way to kind of get a better number there. Or you start changing the marketing automation to track and capture information. And the process just gets better and better. And it, most companies are, or even sometimes it's individuals with a company, they get really good at this. But most of the time when you start with the ROI scenario planning, you just always carry that with you. There's no reason to get rid of it. It's, it's more to the marketer's benefit than anyone. Got it. Got it. No, that's, that's a really good point. And I think it brings another, it dovetails really nicely with the next question uh, on, on ROI that I wanted to ask you is yeah. how should marketers communicate ROI measurement and, and their system uh, yes. to, to non-marketers? Because you talked about how sometimes it's really hard to move people away from the volume game. It's, yeah. you know, it's really like, they're like, no, nah, I want to get those. Like we have a target for MQL. You got, you know, you got to, you have to hit right. X number of MQLs per month. And I don't care about the value and the system, right. the, the organization is not built on that. What, what right, is, right. What, what is your advice for, uh, for, for marketers approaching non-marketing uh, departments or kind of leadership that have that mentality? Right, right. Communications that is it's unbelievably important here. And you know, I've been doing this so long, 20 plus years. And actually, even before that, when I was in corporate the corporate world, I kind of had to be, I kind of had to work up against all these different people that had different views of this. But the one thing that's been the most consistent over all those 20 years is the biggest barrier is cultural. And that's because there's a mindset that not just in and marketing is part of the problem, but but in all these different organizations. And and what happens is the communication, first of all, people have to trust that you're, um, you're framing the financial analysis in such a way that it truly is beneficial to the company and neutral, right? So you can't cheat on the numbers. You have to maintain the integrity. And once you have that, especially outside of marketing, ROI, is, is, is that's the language that the business, the CEO and CFO, they live with that every day. They've got to put money in different places. And and no measurement is ever perfect, right? They they you got to build a new location. Uh, um, uh, yeah, you're going to build this. Will people show up? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. So so that starts. We've talked a bit about the sales team, and that's that's another one that's huge. Um, this alignment really really does go far. Um, but the one other piece under the communication is we didn't talk too much about the measurement methodologies. It, it's sometimes that there's um you know how do you know that that marketing generated that outcome. And, and there's kind of these four different areas of, um, of measurement. And I'll, I'll go through these because I think it's important. Each one kind of tells the story a little different, but you have your basic results tracking, right? So if, if I track if a, a touch point to the last touch or the first touch, whatever I like, I, I associate that value to it. I kind of attribute all that out, at least to the lead, back to this one thing. And and we know that's good and we need that. And it, it definitely lets us compare similar types of things. And then we have a little bit more pre-post trends where, you know, if we're we're running at a certain conversion rate in the sales organization and marketing could come in and after the marketing, we see that conversion rate goes up. We kind of could trust mm. that that's, and we try to set it like a little bit of a controlled experiment there, but, but uh, try and do such a way that we could see that lift. Then we get some confidence there. So those are kind of the easier, less expensive ones. The other one's market testing, probably the most underutilized 
in terms of a, a very reliable statistically based measurement. And basically, if you could set up a control group, you know, that could be all the business as usual, but we introduce something new and we, we have comparable markets or target segments, that's very trustworthy. And now that's that idea that as we move up in the sophistication, we definitely get buy-in better and uh, uh, from people inside and outside of marketing. But you know, market testing is what they use to for, for pharmaceuticals. They, they set up the controlled experiment and, and so it's reliable. And then the one that's a little bit of a mixed one, but is the advanced modeling. And this is where you know it gets complicated when you have uh, um, multiple touch points over many years that we talked about long sales cycle, you know, there are techniques that can detect that, you know, the, the, it looks at people that convert, don't convert. And when you start identifying that certain touch points are consistent across all these different outcomes, you could even pick up the impact of, of the mass media, digital media, that whether people click or not, it's influencing other outcomes. So people are, are engaged with content. And it's sophisticated. And I say it's a, there's a plus and a minus. It is extremely reliable, but there's a little bit of a sense that um, sometimes people feel it's a black box. So, so for me, when we use modeling, we always cycle it back to do the market testing as a validation is to say, look, we basically figured out that if we spend 20% more on paid social and a little bit less on uh, some of this brand or whatever it's going to be, that we think we could increase sales. Let's run that either in select markets for a select time period and do some validation. But, but it's right. it's um there's a snowball effect here that if we get people to see and understand enough to go okay, they not only buy into it, they'll the the executives generally will fund and encourage more measurement. You know, it's a competitive advantage. It's having insights that others don't. Got it. Got it. I love it. That's uh that's some awesome stuff. Now. Uh, Jim, before I have some rapid questions I want to ask you, but oh, right, before right. I kind of dive into that, is there is there anything else around ROI that you think it's it's important for us to chat about that I maybe didn't didn't ask? I guess one other piece I didn't talk too much about that is um, it does tie to that culture piece, but I think most companies when they look at ROI, it looks like there's a million things to do and it's complicated, right? We've got to come up with all these different measurement techniques. I got to get my data in better order, which fortunately is is getting better for marketers. I have to then run this financial piece, but it is it's unlike like major marketing automation implementations. You're either on or off. This is something you could progress in in stages. You know, you could you could um, do a market test now, and if it works, you you do another one. And if you you could put those ROI scenarios in place and use kind of some basic numbers. And over time, you can get a little bit more detailed and look at segment levels. So kind of think of it as a progression and not an all or nothing. You know, look for some different ways that that get started. Try to get the dialogue going. and um, But small wins and some communication usually gets people to the next best, best win. And don't forget, the business likes that you learned something, but you applied it and you came back and said, okay, the results are better this time because of the measurement, the analysis, the the ROI scenarios. So, um, so I think that's kind of a, a good way to don't don't think it, that is such a hurdle to get past. Got it, got it. It's not it's not intelligent design. It's an it's an evolutionary process. Yes, yes, and and believe me, it gets there's the companies that are really good at it always have a long list of what they would do next. I, I worked with some companies that were very advanced, and you know, there's all this artificial intelligence built into optimization. 
and these tools will run and, and you trust the tools. The thing is the tools will be optimized by what you set. And, and most of them miss, they, they miss the mark. So there's a, something really mm. sophisticated there that says, look, every time I spend a little bit more money, I need to make even more money. You know what I mean? I have to I have diminishing returns in a lot of different areas. And sometimes I've seen the artificial inte- intelligence, they'll improve conversion rates double and triple, but they'll cut sales down to like 10%. Well, well those other sales were pretty good too. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, we have to be careful what we optimize on. So, uh, so to me, ROI will always kind of bring you back to the business objectives. So it's a, it's a good Funny. process. And I love it. I love it. All right. Let's, let's do some rapid fire questions. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and I want to start with the first one. So the first question I have is what is one resource? It could be a book, a blog, a podcast, whatever it is that has fundamentally changed the way you, you work or live. Yeah, yeah. So I would go back. I mean, probably early in my career because I, I think it kind of set my path for uh, for a long period of time. And that's um, Kevin Clancy was big, big agency and a big analyst. He had a series of books. The first one I read was The Marketing Revolution, and then he had Counterintuitive Marketing. And your gut is still not smarter than your head, but you kind of see the theme there. Uh, that was the breakthrough that me for me to say, you know, I was a marketer at AT and T good at strategy, good at execution. And we had the finance team trying to tell us to measure and assess things. And it clicked and I go, oh, wait a second. I thought they were pushing the numbers on me, but instead it was kind of unlocking good strategy. And that's that's what I like mm-hmm. is at the end of the day, the more people that connect with their message to change their behavior that ultimately buy, that's where you win. So, uh, so there's a whole series. I'm not sure those books would be as relevant today, but I think the messaging is still there. Got it. Got it. No, I really appreciate that. That's that's awesome. Number two is if you could give one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? Okay, I'll I'll, I'll go to something I mentioned, but it, it's it's it tells you a bit about the importance. But is when we talked about the marketing plus sales as opposed to the marketing versus sales. You know, the 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 line that I, I like to use is it's we don't want to compete for credit. You know, we want to collaborate for credit. It's 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 more important at the end of the day, and it's hard. It's it's a it's a cultural barrier. Barrier. The sales person doesn't really even want to put in that much tracking detail, but if it pays off for them, they mm. will. You know, this this and one thing I didn't mention that's really good is, you know, because you have different mindsets. How do you just because you say ROI is great doesn't mean everyone's going to jump on it. So a lot of times we'll look for pilot opportunities, and that's either. Sometimes there's a sales team that gets it. Sometimes there's a sales team that's struggling and they go, look, if we put marketing effort behind this and you give us, help us with the feedback loop, we're going to help you deliver more sales with the same effort and all that. And uh, once one team does it, it, it very quickly will spread. It, it's, it will spread across the organization. I yeah, love it. So yeah. more, I, I love that approach. It's, it's not marketing versus sales. It's marketing plus sales. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Third one. Who are some of the influencers you follow in the marketing space? Oh yeah, yeah. So there's um there's one person in particular that's been a long time person I follow. Uh, that's John Miller. He's now demand based, but formerly with Marketo and Engageo. And uh, early on, uh, we connected. He was at Marketo. We just had kind of that common mindset, but also a lot of complementary viewpoints. Uh, we even at one point did. Uh, I think it was like a 10 city tour where we presented to some CMO groups 
And 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 what's interesting there it was it was you know as much as it was a collaboration, I think we both walked away with we carried with us all the stuff we we kind of brought together. Uh, so he's he's someone I still follow to this day. Uh, great stuff, great mindset, and and he also he articulates it very well. I, that's one thing I remember when we were sitting there with CMOs, how we'd have these great ideas and kind of just say you know, and people go, oh yeah, I get it. And then I want to give a small plug for uh for uh, Hugh McFarlane because he's also, uh, he's my connection down in Australia. And we also uh, collaborated on a lot of content early on. So, uh, so oh, I, I love it. He's got Bo- both, both of them, both of them have been on the podcast and, uh, and, and nice. both the podcasts are out and you're right. I mean, you know, just, we spoke to John as well and, and he yes. is, uh, he's, he's an absolute gun. He's an absolute Great. gun. Um, yep. Okay. Last thing. Last question that I have is what kind of excites you about B2B today? I, I think it's the it's the 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 next stage following the automation. I mean, I, I think automation was huge in terms of simplifying the process. It was even better for uh, the capturing data. And now I think what I've you know, I, I like to come in and say, all right, that's complicated. How are we going to assess that and make some decisions off of that? And really, that so to me, the biggest trend that's happening relevant to my business is that these advanced techniques like marketing mix modeling that have been around in B to B to C forever. That you know, a lot of different companies are kind of evolving it to help in the B to B, the long sales cycle. You know, I, I think it's you know, some of it's moving to automation. I still feel like that human touch is an important part of it, but it, the the better data and the automation that's available has brought the cost down from the hundreds of thousands to the tens. So um, yeah, got that it. also brings it down to a lot more companies that could benefit from it. That's definitely an exciting space. And, and yeah. you're right. The next next phase after automation is uh, is, uh, is is quite, quite an exciting one. Yeah. yeah, That's right. That's right. Well, Jim, I really appreciate it. I think this was a really insightful conversation. And I think a lot of our, our listeners are going to benefit from it as well. So uh, thank you very much for your Great. time. And thanks for joining. No, I think it. I appreciate the, the, the conversation. It's really, uh, you know, you, you, you're zeroing in on the key areas that are, that are going to make a difference here. So absolute pleasure. Thanks time. a lot, Jim. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for all the support. We're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.